If you have your Bibles, uh, take them and turn to the book of James, James chapter 3, uh, from verse 13. I know we covered uh, verse 13 last week, but it's good to just read it again, and then uh, I want to read the first part of chapter 4. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good works. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Father, we come to your uh, word now as we continue to worship you. And we read a passage like this, and I'm sure there's all kinds of emotions and responses that we have to it. I pray, Father, though, that you would make those emotions and responses submissive to your word, that we would come before your word with humility that we would come before your word with a teachable spirit, that you would take our hearts and our minds and our wills and shape them by your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think about wisdom, we ask the question I asked in the title of the sermon, is it all the same? Or it's all the same, right? Well, James clearly says that it's not all the same. There are two main sources of wisdom that we are confronted with on a day-to-day basis, and it matters how we approach and think about wisdom. Some of you may be uh, aware of um, Shakespeare's plays. One of them I was thinking of the other day, Hamlet. It's not that I was a real good student of uh, Shakespeare, but there's lines from Shakespeare that echo in our brains from time to time, and uh, Marcellus speaks words from Hamlet, which many of you have probably heard, although you might not have placed it in the play of Hamlet. And the phrase is sometimes used to describe uh, a situation in which something has gone really bad. Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. That appears to be the case as James is thinking about uh, the people that he's writing this book to. Something is rotten among the 12 tribes of the dispersion. He doesn't really say what it is. Uh, He doesn't define it specifically, but we know there's a problem because he says, listen, there's quarrels and there's fighting among you. He doesn't, again, deal with specifics, but he does get down to the root of the problem. You're having issues because you're listening to the wrong tape. You're following the wrong piper. You're embracing a wrong wisdom. And so with amazing brevity and jarring clarity... James paints a portrait of these two wisdoms. 
And I sat down in my office yesterday and was imagining this canvas in my mind as I was reflecting on these verses that we read, particularly from chapter 3. On The canvas is split in half. And on the left hand of the canvas, there's a depiction of verses 14 to 16. It's dark, both in theme and in color. The images on the left side are distorted somewhat. Faces are distorted. The actions and the acts that are depicted are harsh and cruel acts. The overall impression that you get when you look at the left side of the canvas is chaos. Everyone for himself. Look out for number one. And then on the other side of the canvas, the right side of the canvas, it depicts verses 17 and 18. And it is bright in theme and in color. There was a purity and a peacefulness in my mind's eye as I looked at it, a beauty that came through the images that were depicted and the actions that were portrayed there. I don't know if you can really depict with a, a, a pencil or a paintbrush. I'm sure some of, some of you are, artists can, but gentleness and humility was sort of radiating from that side of the canvas as you looked at it. Teamwork, compassion, harmony were evident in the scenes and the sort of the pictures that were there. You go back to the first half of the canvas and you look at the top of the canvas and there were thick, dark clouds were the ceiling of that particular world. In fact, as you looked at the canvas, rather than your eyes being drawn upward, they were being drawn downward. And as you came down to the lower half of the canvas, all of a sudden there was a depiction of what we might call um, uh, Dante's infernal, Inferno. And it was a you know, picture of hell, so to speak, if you've ever seen drawings of Dante's Inferno. But on the other side of the canvas, the right side of the canvas, it was painted in such a way that your eyes were drawn upward. It's as though there was a connection between what was above and the painting or the depiction of the scenes that was in front on the right-hand side. And what was going on on the lower half of, of the right-hand side of the painting was influenced by the upper half, this, this opening up into heaven. And the portrait is describing wisdom. It's describing two kinds of wisdom. It's describing a wisdom of this earth, which, as James says, leads to disorder and every kind of evil. And the other is a depiction of wisdom from above, which produces a harvest of peace and righteousness. There's two wisdoms in this world, and they shape our lives. They influence our decisions. They guide our paths. These two wisdoms have different sources, James says. They, are, they, they flow from different motives and motivations. And they result in two different outcomes. The result is two very, very different ways of living. Two very, very different outcomes. And what James is wanting us to consider is what's shaping our life. What are the voices that we are listening to? Because the wisdom that we listen to, the wisdom that we embrace, will work itself out in the lives that we live. That's what we spent time on last week thinking about for a little bit. Uh, verse 13, we didn't get beyond verse 13, but James's point is very clear there. Who has wisdom and understanding? It's not just knowledge in our heads, but he says the wise person or the person of understanding, he says, let him show it by his good works. Let him show it. Let it be seen in his beautiful life. Let it be seen in her humility that flows from wisdom. 
In other words, what James is saying is that wisdom is evident in our lives and in the acts of our lives. By our conduct, by our words, by our actions. It does not boast wisdom from above, it's gentle. And so that's James' main point is that wisdom will shape your life. Who you listen to, who you read, what you speak about in your own heart will shape the decisions that you make in your life. And so then he directs our thinking to wisdom from below. Its motives, its characteristics, its source, and its results. When you take verses 14, 15, and 16, they are a conditional paragraph. By that I mean he begins in verse 14, but if. If this, this, this is the case, then that will result. We know that in life, that there are all kinds of conditional realities in our life. If you clean up your room, you can have friends over after dinner. Kathy tells me that all the time. <laughs> but there's, there's conditions. There, there, there's conditional clauses. If this happens, then happens. And so James says, if you are motivated by um, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, then your life will be characterized by disorder in every evil practice. It's a conditional paragraph that he writes there. And notice how he begins, he begins with the heart. He says, if you have um, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, it's so important, loved ones, that we understand the important part that our heart plays in our actions. Actions always originate in the heart. Behavior always flows from the heart. Always flows from the heart. That's why I think in parenting, one of the most important things that a parent can realize is that the most important thing is not to change the behavior of your child, but to change the heart of your child. Because if you change the heart of your child, you will change the behavior of your child. And so that's what James says here, is if your heart is full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it will work itself out in disorder and every evil practice. See, your heart reveals your self-talk. Self-talk is so important. It is so critical that we manage our self-talk and we learn to speak truth. We learn to sanctify our self-talk because our self-talk is what will work itself out in our behaviors and our actions. There are tapes that we play over and over in our head. And if we listen to those tapes enough, those tapes will influence our actions and our behaviors. There's, if there is a stream of, of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that is circul circulating in our heart and it, it's, it's something that is growing in our heart, it will come out in our actions and our behaviors. You say, well, that's not me. That's not my heart. That's narcissism, and I'm not a narcissist. Yet what the Bible is doing here in a, in a jarring way is it's peeling off the cover of self-deception. That's what James says here when he says, don't be false to the truth. That's really another way. He said this a few times already. Don't be self-deceived. He says, if your heart is full of those things, don't trick yourself into thinking that that's going to lead to good things. And in fact, that's pleasing to God. He says, don't be false to the truth. Behind the voices that say you are number one or take care of yourself or you deserve a break or you have every right to be happy is a voice that can often be influenced by wisdom of this world. 
if you're reading books and listening to advice that place your needs, your wants, above those of everyone else all the time, or advice that says you're the center of the world, all that matters is you, then you're playing tapes that doesn't reflect biblical wisdom. That's my job, not theirs. That's my life. Why do they get to live it? That's my idea. Why are they getting the credit for it? That's my car. Why are they driving it? That's my congregation. Why do they get to pastor it? Why does my little brother or my little sister get all the breaks? You see, so often our thinking betrays the truth of God about his existence and his will and his power. And when we rail against others, what they have, when we envy what others have, when we're motivated by self-ambition, what we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you. God, you've not been good to me. God, you've not been gracious to me. God, you've not given me enough. God, you've not given me what I need. Why have you given it to them and not me? You see, when we come to understand God, we understand that God has got completely different designs for all of our lives. That's what contentment is. Learn to be content whether with plenty or whether with little. Learn to be content. So Paul or James begins here by pointing out two characteristics. And he said, well, why these two? Why does he lift these two characteristics of all that he could say that, that motivate worldly wisdom? Why does he pull out bitter envy and selfish ambition? Well, I think it's to, to make the point that uh, the wisdom of the world is driven by self. The wisdom of the world is, is often the, the center of the wisdom of the world is me. What I want, when I want it, I want it now. Self rules and adjective bitter just makes it clear that this jealousy is not a good jealousy. Uh, it's, a, it's a, your success is my thorn. I was thinking some of you may be familiar with Tanya Harding um, years ago. Uh, and uh, she was very envious of another skater of her success and of her looks. And so with her ex-husband, she conspired to try and take her out. And if you know the story, they hired somebody to whack her knee to take her out of the Olympics. That's bitter jealousy. That's selfish ambition. And what did it lead to? Disorder and chaos of every imaginable kind. Selfish ambition. Ambition in itself is not wrong. Paul writes, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a good thing. It's a good thing to desire to be an elder. Ambition, though, becomes sinful when it's motivated by self and selfishness. Advice becomes godless when it encourages thinking and actions that elevate self above all else and everyone else. Another term for it might be blind ambition. We, we hear of that phrase from Simon to Daniel, others motivated by blind ambition. They don't care about the wake. They don't care about uh, who gets hurt, uh, hurt along the way. And James says, it's nothing to be proud of. It's nothing to be boasting about. Don't, don't deceive yourself when, when you place yourself at the top of the hierarchy of life. James says, that's not something that's influenced by wisdom from above. That's what motivates it, is selfish ambition and bitter envy. But he says, where does, what's the source of that? And this is jarring, I understand, but it's the Bible. James gives us three sources. One, he says, it's earthy. It's earthy. I think, really, all that means is there's no reference to God. It's wisdom that, that flows from 
from maybe a knowledge of human nature, maybe a knowledge of the soul, but there's no reference to uh, above the sun. There's no reference to a divine being, in this case, or in our case, God. There's no suggestion that, that there is a heaven from which we might receive wisdom. And so he says the source of wisdom is purely this world in which we live. It's purely humanity. He says it's natural. Some of our, our, your translations would say it's, it's unspiritual. And the Bible makes very clear that we are both natural beings and we are spiritual beings. And in uh, Corinthians it says the natural man does not welcome what comes from God's spirit because it's foolishness in him. He's not able to know it since it's evaluated spiritually. Jude talks about those that are devoid of the spirit and therefore they are natural. They are worldly people. And so James says such wisdom comes not only from just living in this earth with no reference to heaven. It also comes from a naturalness which doesn't acknowledge the spiritual realities. And then what's even harsher for us to accept is it's demonic. That some of the wisdom in this world is inspired by the father of lies, which he is. In fact, you go to Genesis chapter 3 and you see the confrontation that Satan has with Eve. And you see Satan's wisdom, demonic wisdom, spoken to Eve. Has God really said God's deceiving you. And so there is demonic influence in the world in which we live. In fact, Timothy says, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And so James tells us that this wisdom of this earth or wisdom from below is motivated by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. It comes from earthiness, naturalness, and even demonic sources. And he says its outcome is very easy to see. He says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder in every kind of evil. We see that, do we not? The chaos in our world, the chaos in our relationships, the chaos in our places of work, the chaos in our neighborhoods. Disorder is instability. Uh, it's the same word that's used to describe tumult. Some in the last days, James says, and when you hear of wars and tumults or chaos or disorder, that's the same word that James uses here. The logic of the se sequences is clear. Envy and selfish ambition invariably lead to disorder and every kind of evil. When you put self above everything else, you undermine others and God's intention for us to love God and to love others. It's not a pretty picture. I know I wrestle with these things. But James is saying this is contrary to the wisdom of God because God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So on the other hand, there's wisdom from above. And James says something about its source and its characteristics and its results. It's fascinating wisdom and and. and and it's a, it's a wisdom that, that if we applied it in relationships alone, we would see a wonderful harvest of righteousness and peace in our relationships with our family and with our spouses and with our workmates. Notice James says something about its source, wisdom from above. It's exotic. 
It's not natural. It's, it, it's not earthy. It's otherworldly, so to speak. And again and again, Scripture tells us that God is a God of wisdom and that God gives us wisdom. We looked at Job 28 last week, how, we can, how, how men and women are amazingly um, uh, talented and able to, to turn the world upside down, looking for things of value, jewels and, and, and ores and minerals, but they have no ability to find the thing of greatest worth, which is the wisdom of God. Why? Because God is the one that gives it. And so the Bible again and again speaks about God as not only God of wisdom, but the giver of wisdom and a wisdom that comes from above. And of course, we see the wisdom of God most beautifully displayed in Christ. And if you have time, I would encourage you, as often as you can, to read through one of the Gospels. Because there you, you, you hear not only the wisdom of God, but remember we said there's a connection between wisdom and actions? You see the wisdom of God in Christ. His compassion, his love, his gentleness, his graciousness, his uh, ability to reason, his sincerity, his impartiality. You see the wisdom of God displayed in the life of Christ as he interacts with men and women on this earth. What motivates heavenly wisdom? I think James is saying purity does. Because he, you notice in, uh, in verse uh, 17, he says, But wisdom from above is first pure then. It seems to suggest that possibly purity is the motive of heavenly wisdom, which I like, and it makes sense. That the decisions that we make are untainted by sin. They're untainted by, by selfish ambition. They're untainted by bitter jealousy. Their purity is, is the characteristic or the environment um, um, from the atmosphere from which heavenly wisdom um, grows and develops in our life. It's free from contamination and defilement. Paul's goal, he says, is to present the church as a pure virgin to Christ. We understand what purity in that context means. And all of us who hope in the return of Jesus Christ, uh, that hope purifies us and we will see Jesus and he is, and he is pure. And so there's a, there's a cleanliness, there's a cleanness, there's a, there's a, 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 a freedom from the impacts of sin that, that influences wisdom from above. And then James lists some attitudes of wisdom. It's peaceable. Hey, wow, like what a game changer in relationships that would be, is it not? Peace. The person that is guided by wisdom from above is not looking for a fight, not antagonistic, not looking for a quick comeback, not combative. Her focus is on peace, not war. His goal is unity and conciliation, not being right and getting his way. See, heavenly wisdom lives by the rule. As long as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Heavenly wisdom is a declaration of identity. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Children of God. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. When we're born again and the seed of God dwells in us, then as God is a God of peace, we will become sons and daughters of peace. And that will be one of the driving motivations of what we do. will be peace all the time in every relationship, as long as it depends upon me. Gentle. Equitable, fair, courteous, considerate, a willingness to yield to others. I think sometimes of kids, and I, I'm, I'm shocked sometimes how kids speak to their parents. I'm shocked sometimes how parents speak to their kids. I'm shocked sometimes how husbands speak to their wives and wives speak to the husband. Where's gentleness there? 
Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle. That's what God calls us to do, to gentleness. Uh, I love the next one, open to reason. Open to reason. How often do we emphasize this in relationships? How might a difficult relationship that you're in be transformed by just embracing an attitude of, I think I need to be open to reason? A respectful heart towards the one you're disagreeing with? An attitude that says, maybe can we sit and talk about this a little bit? I'm willing to hear your point of view. I'm willing to hear where I might be wrong or where I might have misunderstood you. God offers a, this invitation to the people of Israel. Come, let us reason together. Jesus talking to a particular woman who has come to him for help. Talks about the fact that what he has to offer is meant for the people of Israel. But she says, well, even the, the, the dogs eat the crumbs off the master's table. And Jesus was amazed by her her, her faith, and, and he was open to reason with her, and he says, your faith has made you whole. Even in Jesus, we see an openness to reason. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason. That's wisdom from above. It's beautiful, is it not? And then he says, it's full of the actions of heavenly wisdom. It's full of mercy and good fruits. I love that. It, 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 it speaks about an openness or a, um, an overabundance of a lavishness of mercy. Not just a, a, I'll throw you a bone of mercy here. You know, I'll be merciful in this particular situation for this particular time. It's full of mercy. Loved ones, have you ever thought, sat down and thought, wow, God has been merciful to me. Have you ever been profoundly impacted on your reflection of the mercy of God towards you? How he has treated you? What he has given to you? How his grace has been poured out in your life? How full and rich and deep and complete his forgiveness is of you? Lavishes his mercy. He's great in mercy. He's rich in mercy. And in relationships, we're so often stingy with mercy. Wisdom from above says, no, the attitude is I'm going to be full of mercy and good works. It's authenticity, the authenticity of wisdom. Wisdom from above is impartial and sincere. It's unwavering. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't pick people based on external realities or doesn't treat people on external realities. It, it recognizes all people as equal before God is made in the image of God. It reflects an unwavering loyalty before God to that individual. He says a wise person is sincere. We don't wear masks. It's, the word is often used um, in, in, in New Testament times of plays that, or of masks that actors would wear. And, and they would put on a mask and they would be a different person. And then when the play was over, they would take off the mask. Well, what James is saying is wisdom from above doesn't wear masks. What you see is what you get. It's a beautiful picture. It's impartial. It's sincere. Another thing they used to do in the, in the, in the uh, 
early days in the first century and around then is if they had a statue or a piece of rock that had some flaws in it, they would take wax and they would stick it in, in the flaws. Well, what would happen is that thing would get exposed to sun over time and the wax would melt out. So it's like James is saying that wisdom from above doesn't have any wax. It's, it's pure. It's sincere. And then he says the fruit. The fruit is found in verse 18. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It seems like that, that almost we summarize wisdom from above as it results in peace. It results in peace. So now in your mind's eye, go back to the canvas that I described at the very beginning. Maybe paint yourself in the canvas. Where would you paint yourself in the canvas? I was thinking that maybe on the left-hand side of the canvas, which represents verse 14 to 16, there, there might be sort of in, in, in words that were, were visible but not dominant, something's rotten in the state of my heart. But on the other side of the canvas, have you ever seen those pictures where, I can't remember the kind of horses, they're black and white and they're all patchy, and you, you see art somewhere and, and they're in poplar trees. And you see the trees, but if you look closely enough, you can see the horse in the trees. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's there, but it's not there. And so I think on the right side of this picture, what I see is Christ. Why Christ? Because Christ is the wisdom of God. In Christ, the Bible tells us, is the fullness of wisdom, the completeness of wisdom displayed. He's the perfect wisdom of God. And as we come to this table, I can't think of a more fitting demonstration of wisdom from above. It just kind of zeroes it in on wisdom from above. We come to a, a, a table and where we see the wisdom of the world contrasted with the wisdom from above. And we see it displayed in Christ. For example, Paul in Corinthians writes words that are pretty familiar to us, but I'll read them again. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? And then this, has not God made the wisdom of this world foolishness? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. See, the wisdom of the world would say, save yourself. The wisdom of the world will, would say, obey a little bit more. The wisdom of the world would say, go to church a little bit more regularly. The, the wisdom of the world would say, I don't need to figure out my relationship with God. There is no God. The wisdom of God is, here's a Savior. My son. The perfect, righteous one. The field is level. We all come in exactly the same way. There's nothing to boast about. The only thing there is to boast about is to boast about Christ. Isn't that incredible wisdom? Just that itself? That none of us brings anything to the table of salvation. All of us receive the same thing, which is Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's the wisdom of God 
displayed in this table. And what's the outcome of that? Jesus is our peace, is it not? We're at peace with God. We've received the, 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 the gentleness of God. We've received the impartiality of God. We've received the authenticity of God. We are reaping a harvest of peace as we grow in our relationship with God. The ultimate wisdom of God is seen at this table. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to attend this church. You just need to know Christ as your Savior to have experienced the wisdom of God. And you can join with us as we, we really give thanks. We give praise. I hope if you're looking for help, if you're looking to make sense of your life and the world around you, that you won't just listen to what the world has to say, but that you will begin to think about maybe another kind of wisdom, a wisdom from above. And you will see it's of an altogether different quality, which brings about altogether different results, which produces peace in your heart and in your life. Father, we come before you today, and I'm thankful sometimes for being jarred into thinking rightly about the world in which I live and my own life. And James seems to be, this text seems to be one of those jarring texts that puts before me really two different paths of life. That makes me aware of two different voices, of two different sources of wisdom, of two different outcomes of living. I want wisdom from above to be the thing that shapes my life. And I thank you for this table, Father, which so many in the world look in on this and they say, what a bunch of goofballs. They really believe this stuff. And yet, Father, you have opened our eyes to see that on our own, we are utterly and desperately lost and in darkness. But because of your incredible wisdom, perfectly displayed in Christ, you have provided a way back to you which none of us would have ever come up with on our own. Turn our eyes towards Jesus, I pray. Lift our eyes heavenwards to your wisdom, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.